Let me begin today with a brief metaphorical, metaphorical story to set the stage. Death was walking toward a city, and a man stopped death and asked, What are you going to do? Death said. I am going to kill 10,000 people. The man said, That's horrible. Death said, That's the way it is. That's what I do. As the day passed, the man warned everyone he could of death's plan. At the end of the day, he again met death. He said, you said you were going to kill 10,000 people and yet 70,000 have died. Death explained, I killed only 10,000. Worry and fear killed the others. Anxiety has become the number one mental health issue in North America. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, it's estimated that one-third of the North American population experiences anxiety issues. That number even seems small to me. Each and every one of us in this room understands anxiety. We felt the crippling effects of it. What is it that causes some of us on a regular basis to worry, to fret? We've seen in our study throughout this epistle that concern for others as well as ourselves can be good. It's a sign of genuine love and desire to know what God's will is for our lives. However, we all know that at times, this good concern transforms itself into that crippling emotion of anxiety and worry. How many of us have laid our heads on a pillow at the end of a long day? And as we desire to seek rest, our minds continue to wrestle and struggle with the worries and the fears of our lives. I've been there. I know each and every one of you have been there. It's a good thing to desire joy and peace and contentment. Hopefully, this is a worthwhile motivation for us all. Although, is there an even greater motivation that would drive us to fight against anxiety. John MacArthur addressed the question with the following, and I quote, For some reason, we think of doubt and worry as small sins. But when a Christian displays unbelief or an inability to cope with life, he is saying to the world, My God cannot be trusted. And that kind of disrespect makes one guilty of a fundamental error. The heinous sin of dishonoring God. That is no small sin. Now, on the surface, that is a very convicting quote to each and every one of us. Why is that? If we're honest with ourselves, each of us 
as I've said several times, are guilty of this sin of dishonoring the God in whom we love, in whom we say we shall never be separated from. Nevertheless, if we continue to be true with ourselves, it is this type of brutal honesty that prepares us to be real and true with our friends, with our family, with ourselves, and to fight against anxiety. If we are believers, we must ask the question, do we trust God that He is faithful to this precious, inerrant, inspired, authoritative Word of God? Do we trust it? Do we trust this 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reads, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, we all know Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Or the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33 reads, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Or in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is God's promise to us as believers in Christ. Our anxiety and worry, as John MacArthur states, is a fundamental error. It's as if we're saying, Lord, I don't trust you to do according to what you have promised. Listen, I get it. I've been there. We all understand what it means to fall short. That being said, let it never be said of us that we would be found taking these promises for granted. Living in anxiety, practicing anxiety and worry. Following the conflict of Euodia and Syntyche, which we looked at last week, Paul, in our passage for today, begins to address this all-too-common sin that afflicts mankind. We will see that not only did Paul give three tools to the church at Philippi, but God's word speaks directly to us here today that we can have peace, that we can have hope, that we can overcome anxiety. As for us and our struggles, we look to Philippians 4, verses 4 to answer the question, what are some tools for defeating anxiety? Would you stand with me, please, as we read God's Word? His faithful promise to us, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
the Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Our first tool, found in verses 4 and 5, is a joyful and gentle spirit. It's not an accident that following this charge for harmony in the midst of conflict that we examined last week, now Paul turns and commands the church to rejoice not just once, but twice. That's in the midst of the conflict of Euodia and Syntyche. There is no escaping the biblical reality that we have been called to live a continual lifestyle of joy. Whether in conflict or peace. In our message from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, we saw how Paul began with this same charge to rejoice. In that section, he demonstrated this attitude of rejoicing and how it protected the church from the dangers of pride. We also discussed the root meaning of this word rejoice and how it's derived from the word grace. We defined grace as the free and compassionate Influence of a holy God upon undeserving sinners. We know what grace is, do we not? Amen. The idea of undeserving sinners is crucial in laying the groundwork for us in this continual pursuit of a lifestyle of joy. As undeserved sinners, God in His sovereign electing love has chosen us as children of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Left in that, ultimately all we would ever find is anxiety, worry, fear. And now, because of His free grace, we have access to peace, a joy that is lasting. What more do we actually need compared to this? This is certainly cause to be joyful and in turn develop an appreciation for this tool to fight against anxiety. Last week we touched upon that phrase, in the Lord, precious, precious phrase. The double command in this first verse, verse to rejoice, is indeed a motivator for us to pursue a continual lifestyle of joy. With all of our human hearts, with all of our strength, nevertheless, the power to do so rests in the Lord. 
context of Philippians chapter 2, which we examined, verses 12 and 13, rings loud and clear as a point of emphasis to this power. Chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 reads, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to work for his good pleasure. Hallelujah. We saw in those two verses the sanctifying process of God on display. You're called to pursue holiness, to grow in grace and knowledge and the love and discernment that God's word calls us to. Paul urging the church in that verse in those verses to pour their lives into the pursuit of Christ all the while resting in the energy behind it all if we are to grow in holiness while not sinning against God in this area of anxiety we must rest in the doctrine of divine sovereignty. The reality that God is in control. We've mentioned it before, but the famous quote from the early church, Father Augustine, is so appropriate. When he said, Lord, command what you will and give what you command. Do we believe that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will? All things, even our conflicts, even our struggles, even our pain, even our suffering. Then as undeserved sinners, saved by grace, we can be joyful in our fight against anxiety. addition, we can be empowered to do so always, as Paul instructs. As for the church in Philippi, in the context of a serious disagreement of some kind, he called them to rejoice. It's one thing to rejoice when life is but a bed of roses. Everything's well and good. But what about in conflict, pain, or suffering? In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul, while in prison, stated he was always offering prayer in joy for the church while in prison. Or what about the words of Peter? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13, we read, but to the, the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Is there anyone here today that is suffering? Keep on rejoicing. Obviously, when anxiety develops, it often is during less than desirable moments of time. When things seem to be out of 
our control? Are we committed by the grace of God to persevere against the temptation to be anxious? We all know the passage. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 read, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. It's as if we are men and women running a race, if you will, pushing through the pain to the end result. In that example, how does one, how does one make it? How does one finish the race? He must stay focused on the finish line. The moment the runner begins to focus upon the searing pain of the race, the temptation to quit, he's already lost the race. The finish line may not be visible, but he holds it deep within his mind as he perseveres to the end. As for us in our race against anxiety, we can rejoice always. Because we can trust that God is creating in us our perfect result, our finish line, shaping and molding us more into his image through those trials. In verse 5, Paul adds a gentle spirit to this tool of joy. And in order to better understand this term, gentle, I want us to look at the contrast that Paul uses in his description of elder qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. What do we see in a violent drunkard but someone that desires absolute control? More than likely, as many within this room sit here as believers in Christ, we don't have many out-of-control, violent drunkards. However, do any of us here wrestle with an unhealthy desire to control every circumstance? Do we at times find ourselves not willing to be forbearing or lenient towards others? I've been there. This word gentle is exactly an attitude, tolerance, or a sacrifice of one's own rights. 
when considering the conflict of Euodia and Syntyche, this tool makes perfect sense. In your conflict, in my conflict, or difficult circumstances, would we be willing to be gentle, tolerant, lenient towards others? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 reminds us that a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Of course, none of us desire anxiety, but how many of us within the flesh that we still wrestle with at times respond with a harsh word or a less than gentle spirit? It will most certainly serve to produce opportunities for worry and anxiety. Because as the proverb states, it often stirs up anger. There's no greater joy than being with the ones that we love. However, at the same time, within these intimate relationships... This exposes more opportunities for our sin nature to be revealed. And unfortunately, this also creates more opportunities for conflict and anxiety. Last week, we were challenged in the call to harmony. This week, would we be challenged to manifest a gentle spirit? Tolerance or leniency will most certainly serve as a tool against anxiety. As we at times sacrifice our own rights. In the same manner, as being joyful always is critical. Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Commands keep coming in this section, and the extent of those commands continue to be very challenging. God is no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. I mentioned family earlier. You might be thinking that eventually, in the midst of conflict, you can find a gentle spirit with your family. However, what about your euodia or your sentiki? Paul will say the following concerning those who have wronged you. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Gentleness will indeed be an essential tool in protecting you from bitterness that often leads to anxiety. Now, before moving to our second tool, there's an, another motivation that Paul alludes to here when it comes to the reason for a joyful and gentle spirit. At the end of verse 5, we read, The Lord is near 
Let me share a couple of verses with you and explain a simple theological concept in which I believe Paul is referring to here and how it serves to motivate us to keep a proper perspective, to continually pursue a lifestyle of joy while also practicing a gentle spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, you know it, reads, Not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Or Revelation chapter 22, verse 7 reads, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Or in James chapter 5, verse 8, You to be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, based upon Paul's previous reference from chapter 3, verse 17, to the rapture of the church, this seems to be, I would contend, another reference to the imminent catching away of his bride. Imminent, spelled I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T. What does that mean, Pastor John? Simply defined from the original writers to the original audience to even us here today. There is nothing left upon the prophetic timeline that needs to be accomplished in order for the rapture to take place. Why could Paul, the church at Philippi, and us even here today find strength from that truth to be joyful and gentle? Because Christ will when Christ will imminently rescue his church. Hallelujah. And in that truth, we find strength in the midst of a culture that continues to deteriorate, increasingly making it more difficult for us to be joyful and gentle Our second tool is a prayerful release of control. A prayerful release of control. Look at verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And let me repeat that first phrase again. Because it strikes a chord with us all. Be anxious for nothing this is a command from the word of God in the same way that we would hold dearly the ten commandments of Exodus chapter 20 do we hold dearly this command from scripture that says do not be anxious This is the same word that is translated 
as concern when it came to Epaphroditus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. It does not mean that we are not concerned about others or about ourselves or about what God's will is for our lives. Obviously, when Paul used it in chapter 2, verse 20, referring to Epaphroditus, it was in a positive light. Along your Christian journey, you might have heard the phrase, let go and let God. This phrase in and of itself is very troubling to me. It seems to convey a sense that we don't care. We're content to sit back and do nothing. This could not be further from the truth. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 9 reads, The heart of man plans his ways. Plans his ways. Is concerned about his ways. But the Lord establishes his steps. God's word presupposes that we care and are concerned in a positive way when it comes to how we live and operate in the world that we live in. Paul himself felt this concern for the churches. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of the concern for the churches. He was concerned. He felt pressured. He desired to see his brethren, his workers, his soldiers grow in Christ. Nevertheless, healthy concern and thought should never be replaced by anxiety and worry. Moreover, no matter what the circumstances, the extent of our focus remains from A to Z. In verse 4, we saw the word always when it came to rejoicing. In verse 5, we saw the word all when it came to who we are to be gentle to. All. Now here in verse 6, we see everything when it comes to our commitment to peace as compared to anxiety. Are we starting to get the picture? The extent of our obedience is not often tested in good times. In the context of this letter, Paul wrote while in prison and at the same time addressing a major conflict. He talked about a focus upon the finish line of our life, if you will. When surveying our own lives, hindsight is often 2020. Is it not? Believers in Christ, we know, can often appreciate the trials and tribulations of life after the storm. As we know, James reminds us, that God uses these to grow us. 
create in us endurance. An understanding that God in his sovereignty is using the trials of life to shape and mold us more into his image is critical. It's that type of acknowledgement that drives us to not be anxious on the eve of the storm. Or perhaps without even seeing a storm on the horizon, we know it's coming. And we prepare ourselves, we hide God's word in our heart, trusting that when it does come, Lord, you have purpose in this for me. This command is powerful in and of itself, along with our Lord's command in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, when he said, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? However, if you're like me, you need more than just don't do this. Tell me, pastor, what should we do? Tell me, Lord, from your word, how might we fight against anxiety? What can we actually do in order to practice obedience? To not be worried. To not fret. Hence the title of our second tool and one of the answers to defeating anxiety. A prayerful release of control. Following the command to not be anxious and the extent of that command, Paul communicates this positive tool now for the battle. Within this verse, we see four elements of this tool. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and requests. We want us to first handle prayer, supplication, and requests as they all serve as synonyms for prayer. Prayer can be understood as more of an intercessory model. Paul is saying here that one tool against anxiety is prayer for others. And I might add often, prayer for those in whom you have conflict with. Oswald Chambers had this to say concerning intercessory prayer. And I quote, the real business of your life as a saved soul is intercessory prayer. Wherever God puts you in circumstances, pray immediately. Pray that his atonement may be realized in others' lives as it has been in yours. Pray for your friends now. Pray for those whom you come in contact now. The power of this tool is its focus. Anxiety is often selfish at its core because it's an overemphasis upon oneself. Intercessory prayer for others acts to counteract 
that self-focus and protect us against the shame of anxiety. Supplication. Or some translations may read petitions. Communicates more of an urgent prayer, desire to intercede for others, for ourselves. This is the same word that Paul used in chapter 1, verse 4. When he indicated that he was always offering prayer. And then the final synonym is requests. This word is often used, I should say, only used two times, other times in the New Testament. And both times relating to specific requests. In chapter 1, we discussed a prayer of substance as we examined Paul's initial prayer to the church in the letter. You want help fighting anxiety? I do. I know you do. Be specific in praying for others and yourself while making a commitment that demonstrates a sense of urgency to come before the throne of God. Taking the eyes off of ourselves. In defining grace, we have utilized this term, undeserving sinners. We talked of its importance when it comes to a continual lifestyle of joy. It's once again the foundation for our fourth element, thanksgiving in this tool against anxiety. Throughout many of Paul's letters, the attitude of gratitude is very prevalent. One in particular from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, reads, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Perspective often is so key for us when we desire to be joyful, to be gentle, to have a life that exhibits a prayerful release of control. The 17th century English commentator Matthew Henry, after being robbed, had this to say, and I share it with you as you consider perspective and how we might be thankful not anxious. He said, after being robbed, let me be thankful. First, because I was never robbed before. Second, because although they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. Fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. Thankfulness in a circumstance that perhaps many of us might be anxious about, just on the surface if we were robbed, or whatever the difficult circumstance may be. 
But he sought perspective. He sought to be thankful. He sought to understand and discern what is God doing in this circumstance in my life. Is that our desire? We've touched upon prayer in the second tool, but we still have not addressed the release of control. Paul has challenged the church throughout concerning this foundation of the fellowship of Christ. In that challenge, we have seen the idea of humility versus pride. In the attitude of Christ, we saw the ultimate example of what humility looks like. What does this have to do with the release of control and a tool against anxiety? Everything. Why do we often neglect the power of prayer as a tool against anxiety? The answer often lies in our pride and dependence upon oneself rather than a life devoted to complete and utter dependence upon our Lord. To close out verse 6, Paul says that these requests should be made known to God. He uses his final command in this section to communicate the cure to anxiety. That it is a life that is continually making requests known to God. This is a total and full release of control while humbly acknowledging our dependence upon the Lord. This is not a let go and let God. It's an understanding that God has declared the beginning from the end. And yet, in His sovereignty, has prescribed that prayers is a means in the process. So, we've seen that a joyful and gentle spirit, along with a prayerful release of control, are two answers to our question for the day. Let's look at our third and final tool in the fight against anxiety. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in our final tool against anxiety that we find rest in the confidence that only God's word can bring. Life is full of subjective emotions. Beware. Emotions are given to us by God and we embrace them, enjoy them, and love them. Many of us wear them on our sleeves, myself included. But do not forget that your heart is deceitfully wicked. What is it that is objective in our lives? What is it, as Colossians 2 verse 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The peace 
the knowledge, the wisdom that we desire comes only from the objective source of the word of God. In verse 7, Paul gives the result of a joyful and gentle spirit that is willing to commit to a prayerful release of control. What is the opposite of anxiety and conflict but tranquility and harmony, the peace of God. He says that this peace surpasses all comprehension. We know that. We've felt that. We've experienced that in the midst of difficult circumstances. And the same way that knowing Christ is of exceptional value, without comparison, this peace is like no other that the world will ever know. No amount of psychological counsel or wisdom of the world will ever provide the hope, the strength that we need to endure in our fight against anxiety. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 is clear. And when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The beginning of wisdom. Anxiety finds its beginnings in the mind. A reasoning that is focused upon oneself or the things of this world. The word comprehension is literally translated the mind. But it finds its idea, its meaning to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is like a soldier that stands guard over the fortress of your mind. Powerful picture for me. I would hope that it would be for you. I need that soldier every day. I need peace. I need that sentry. You need that soldier to protect your mind, and we have access to him through his word. In Christ Jesus, it equips us to put on our mind the sword of the Spirit in order that we might fight against anxiety and stand upon truth such as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. It says we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My brothers, my sisters in Christ, anxiety is a speculation and a lofty thing raised against the knowledge of God that if you are in Christ, you know is contrary to what He desires for you. Would you commit today, by the grace of God, to take that sin captive to the obedience of Christ You have been given the mental capacity to do so, and you have the strength in the Lord to do so. The energy behind it all. 
to practice a joyful and gentle spirit in your fight. To be tolerant and lenient towards others. To live a prayerful life of releasing control. And to rest in the confident peace that only God's word can bring to our souls. His word is enough. It is sufficient. It provides the antidote and the cure to anxiety. Will we trust it? Will we live in it? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you above all things that you provide rest for our weary souls. Lord, we feel the weight of falling short in this area of anxiety and worry. But your word reminds us, O oh God, that this is sinful. It is a lack of trust in the promises that you have given to us. Lord, help each and every one of us, myself included, to repent of this sin of anxiety to rest in a confident peace that only you provide, a peace that surpasses all comprehension and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, remind us of this precious word when the temptation comes. Empower us to be more than overcomers, not just for our peace, not just for our joy, in order that the world might see a life of hope and peace, in order that your name might be glorified in all that we do. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, we pray.